Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm Dave McRae from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute and today I'm speaking to Professor Todong Mulia Lubis, a prominent Indonesian human rights lawyer and an honorary professor in the Melbourne Law School. Pat Mulia, thanks for joining us. Thank you. My now, pleasure. Mulia is very well known in Australia as the Indonesian defence lawyer for Andrew Chan and Mayoran Sukumaran, two Australians executed in April as part of Indonesia's sharp intensification of the death penalty that has seen 14 people overall executed in 2015 so far. And today I'll be speaking to him about the current status of capital punishment under President Jokowi, including the avenues for opponents of the death penalty in Indonesia to push for a reduction in its use, a moratorium, or even abolition. We haven't seen any further executions in Indonesia since Chan, Sukumaran, and six others faced the firing squad in April, and I started by asking Mulia whether he sees this pause as likely to continue for a long time. Well, it is not very clear, but I've not I've not heard any uh, new statement mm. from Attorney Generals that they will do another executions. Uh, yes, in the past he did make he did make one statement, yeah, but lately I was told that he privately said to the media that it is not the priority of the mm. government to uh, have an execution. So that, that I cannot confirm that, but that is encouraging. Yeah. Mm. Now, my question is, why, why is that so? Sure. Yeah? Is it because of the pressures from international community? Is that because now they realize that they paid a lot of price mm. for the executions? and perhaps a combination of both. Attorney General Presetio was previously one of the Indonesian officials pushing most actively for executions. So to hear him saying this isn't really something we're thinking about really is a stark change. Mulia highlights as one of the possible reasons for this pause the price Indonesia has paid for the executions. I asked him what that price was. Well, uh, reputational-wise, I think Indonesia has been damage mm. by all the publicities. To what extent uh, economic assistance has been reduced by Australia, by Holland, by other countries, uh, I don't have the data on that. Yeah, But I'm not surprised if there has been reduction of foreign assistance, of economic operations and others. And uh, my sense is President Jokowi, who probably recognized more of the uh, implications of these executions, wants to correct that. Yeah? Now, how will he correct that? That remains to be seen. But among others, I believe the submission of criminal court draft bill is one thing that he has personally told uh, his insiders yeah, that if we can have this death penalty uh, amended, yeah, then uh, that would solve the problems. Again, I, I cannot confirm that. This sure. is uh, my, my internal source. Yeah.
I asked Mulia to explain what revisions the Indonesian government has proposed to the criminal code and how, if enacted, they would change the use of the death penalty in Indonesia. Well, it is a compromise between... Uh, it is a compromise to accommodate uh, the pro-death penalty and the anti-death penalty. Under Indonesian circumstances, I don't think the government can totally abolish death penalty. In fact, the word moratorium has become, you know, an accept, an accept, unacceptable, you know, words in Indonesia. So, by having this uh, compromise, not putting that penalty as a primary sentence, to me, it is a good step. Yeah. Yeah? It is a good step. Yes, they still maintain that penalty as an alternative, alternative punishment, but it is a conditional punishment. Okay. So uh, to me, if we believe in yeah, gradualism, yeah. this is part of the change that is taking place. And hopefully, if yeah, we have uh, more people aware about the dangers, the implications, the violations that we are committing, then probably we will uh, be in a better position to campaign for abolition later on. If the death penalty were to be made an alternative punishment, Mulia explained, judges would impose it only if they believed a life sentence or imprisonment did not serve justice. Even then, as a conditional punishment, a prisoner would have a 10-year opportunity to demonstrate they had rehabilitated before the sentence became final. President Jokowi's government is not the first to table this revision to the criminal code, however. It was also tabled but never finalised under his predecessor, Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono. As such, I asked Mulia whether there was any particular reason to believe that the revision would be enacted this time around. Well, you're right, Dave. You know, uh, in fact, the draft of the criminal code mm. is not uh, prepared by Jokowi. You know, mm. administrations. Mm. It has been uh, prepared long time ago. Yeah. Even before you do, you know, yeah. you know uh, became president. Now, why Jokowi wanted to uh, have this deliberated? Well, I think partly because the government as a whole feel the government owes Indonesia that they need the new criminal code. Mm. Uh, we cannot use the old uh, colonial criminal codes anymore because mm. even in Holland it has been replaced. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they 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 amended you know the the current criminal code many times already. So I think it is very extremely important. We have to, uh, we, we should have the new criminal code. Politically, it is difficult to openly debate reforms to the death penalty in Indonesia. In 2011, the previous government introduced the draft corruption law, which didn't include the death penalty, only to withdraw it again after incurring intense criticism. Mulia himself mentioned even the word moratorium has become unacceptable in Indonesia. As such, I asked him whether he thought it would be possible politically for the Indonesian government and legislature to push ahead and enact reforms that would reduce Indonesia's use of the death penalty? Well, it, it'll be very tough, mm. yeah. Uh, but once 
they open the debate. You know? mm. Yes, there will be pros and cons. Mm. It is hard to predict mm. at this point in time whether the anti-death penalty will win. Mm. Yeah, uh, it seems that it may be retained. Mm. That penalty will will still be there. Yeah, but I believe the limitation would be perceived as a as a solution okay. to the tension. Mm. Now keep in mind uh, one one other things. The Nahdlatul Ulama, mm. yeah, this the, is largest the largest social uh, most Muslim organizations, they supported that penalty. Sure. Yeah, Muhammadiyah supported that penalty. Mm. So it would be very difficult to ignore that. Mm. I mean, I don't think the Parliament, the President, can ignore that. If, in fact, when I, uh, this is uh, probably have to mention this now. When I lobby President yeah. Jokowi uh, prior to the execution, one message given to me by his assistants mm. is, "Please lobby Nahdlatul Ulama and Muhammadiyah." Yeah, that's what he said. If you can convince them not to execute, then President would listen to them. Yeah, that's what the message given to me. Okay. But that proved impossible at the time? That's probably impossible. I, I talked to the Nadatul Lama people. Mm. I talked to the chairman of the Nadatul Lama. Mm. But he's a strong supporter of that penalty. Yeah. No. I recall his rhetoric was quite hardline in yeah. terms of the execution should continue. Yeah. 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 Well, even Gusdur, mm. yeah, to my recollection, from my conversation with him, he's very ambivalent. Yeah. Yeah, he's very ambivalent. Yeah. Mm. He does not say he is for that penalty. Mm. But he never said he's against that penalty. The pro-death penalty stance of Indonesia's two largest Islamic organizations, Nadatul Ulama and Muhammadiyah, leads into the broader question of public support for the death penalty in Indonesia. In March, Indobarometa conducted a public opinion survey that showed 84% of Indonesians supported the death penalty for drug dealers with only 12% opposed. I asked Mulia, who are those 12% opposed to the death penalty in Indonesia and is there anything that opponents of the death penalty could do to change the minds of the 84% who support capital punishment? Well, it's a hell of a job <laughs> to do that, yeah. Uh, but I believe uh, 12% does not represent the accurate numbers of those who look for other alternatives. Okay. Probably this 12% are the abolitionists. Mm. But in between, this 12% and 84%, uh, is that 84 84% and 84% didn't answer yeah. or didn't know. Okay. Yeah. There are people who may probably favor life sentence. Okay. There are people probably may favor life sentence without parole for this. Mm. Now, I don't know what sort of question, you know, put forward by Indobarometers. Mm. But if Indobarometers offer them alternatives, okay. life sentence without parole, life sentence imprisonment, for instance, mm. I 
I'm convinced that the number would be below 84%. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. We are planning to do the survey next year. Okay. Yeah. We're planning to do the survey next year. We are trying to get fun for that. Yeah. Mm. Now, I uh, I think we have the momentum now. Mm. We have the momentum because never in our history an awareness of that penalty in a positive as well as negative uh, sense, you know, is that high. Okay. So uh, we would like to use this momentum mm. to campaign. I asked Mulia what issues could be put in front of people in Indonesia to change their minds on capital punishment. Well, that's my uh, my limitation being a lawyer, you know. <laughs> then you, you, you again talk about the right to life as sanctity, mm. you know, uh, as the most fundamental human rights, and then mm. you're talking about the death penalty does not deter crimes, you know. Mm. And then the corrupt judicial systems, yeah. wrongful conviction, all yeah. these things. Well, you will again talk about it, but I think we should go beyond that. Sure. That is the point, you know. Mm. Uh, what beyond that, yeah. I, I myself would like to, yeah, embark on a discourse on Islamic interpretation of law. But it is hard to find liberal, enlightened Islamic scholars sure. in Indonesia. Mm. If we could have, you know, Islamic scholars from other countries who wrote that penalty, mm. you know, about that penalty, yeah, that would be very, very uh, useful. Although it retains capital punishment, Indonesia continues to advocate actively for its own citizens facing the death penalty abroad. I asked Malia whether this advocacy could change minds or whether Indonesians simply see the advocacy as a completely separate issue to capital punishment inside Indonesia? Well, they, they don't want to acknowledge that. Mm. Yeah. They don't want to acknowledge that this, you know, uh, related to Indonesia. Mm. Yeah. They see that as a yeah, job uh, of the governments to defend Indonesia. Yeah. But I think uh, it is wrong, you know, to... Uh, to, to have that line of thinking, yeah. Mm. So uh, it is a hypoc- uh, hypocrisy. One issue where we see a lot of data coming out of the United States is that of wrongful convictions. The Death Penalty Information Center lists 155 people who've been on death row in the United States since 1973 and then been exonerated. In the United States, there are NGOs and law schools who comb through these cases looking for errors. I asked Mulia whether there was a need for similar work in Indonesia and whether there was any prospect that NGOs and law schools there could look through the cases of people who had been sentenced to death to see if their convictions stood up to scrutiny. That would be a good idea mm. if uh, an NGOs you know, mm. do that, you know. Mm. Uh, if Sudan would like to do more research on that, you know, mm. S- because yeah, I believe there must have been mm. wrong conviction, sure, yeah, by the court in Indonesia, especially in drug, you know, mm. cases, because yeah, oftentimes drug traffickers are not really drug traffickers, mm. but the police justify their action mm. by probably fabricating mm. yeah, the evidence, okay. all these things. Mm. 
mm. and that happens we have come across number of uh, times cases where those convicted to death you know because of drugs mm. were not really you know drug traffickers okay in this context mulia mentioned the case of a nigerian who has been sentenced to death in a drugs case currently imprisoned in Nusakambangan that had been brought to his attention by the Nigerian ambassador. I asked Mulia whether cases of wrongful conviction, if uncovered, could change people's minds. If you can have more and more publicity on that, yes. Mm. Mm. Sure. Yes. sure. No, but no one is doing that. Oh, okay. Yeah, no one is doing that. I think that there are not that many people doing research on that penalty either. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think we have to encourage the students, the activists, to do that. In a public lecture at Melbourne Law School in August, Mulia presented striking statistics sourced from the Ministry of Law and Human Rights on the number of people on death row and the number of people sentenced to life imprisonment in Indonesia for narcotics crimes. There were roughly twice as many foreigners sentenced to death for narcotics crimes as Indonesians, but roughly twice as many Indonesians as foreigners sentenced to life imprisonment. I asked Mulia whether there were any grounds to believe that Indonesians and foreigners were receiving different sentencing outcomes in narcotics cases in Indonesia. I, I don't have any, you know, mm. data on that. You know, I, I cannot, you know, uh, mm. give you a, an answer at the moment, you know. Sure. But it is an interesting point, you know. Mm. If it is drugs, then why, you know, Indonesian receive life sentence, not death sentence? Mm. Why foreigners receive more death sentence than Indonesians? Mm. I think that's a valid, valid question, you know. This year has also seen several legal challenges to the death penalty in Indonesia. Mulia himself filed a challenge to the clemency law at the Constitutional Court, whereas civil society groups asked the Supreme Court to review a circular it had issued limiting judicial review of sentences to a single instance. I asked Mulia what the current status of those legal challenges was and whether challenges through the Constitutional Court and the Supreme Court were a way that abolitionists could try to reduce the use of the death penalty in Indonesia or even have it abolished. Well, we should have a litigation strategy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, doing more litigations, doing more judicial review, mm. and uh, never stop. Mm. Yeah. Now, it seems that we don't have that strategy. Mm. Yeah. We only file judicial review because we have clients, you know, mm. affected by that law. Mm. You know. But I think uh, as a human rights organization, it has to do that mm. more, you know. Not because of the requests mm. of certain individuals, mm. but because of the principles. Okay. We have to do all these things mm. combined. Mm. This review, legal drafting, you know, public campaign, mm. and others. And uh, that what has not been done. Mm. Now, I, I'm not saying they don't probably have the idea. They don't probably have the agenda for that. They may have that. Mm. But the lack of resources you know, okay. sure. constrain them from mm. doing that. 
Finally, I asked Mulia to look to the future, and given his mention of the international pressure that Indonesia incurred over the executions earlier in 2015, I asked him whether going forward there was a role for international parties to play in encouraging Indonesia to abolish the death penalty or to reduce its use. Well, it should be interesting if uh, lobbying, uh, campaigning done by countries or UN, you know, mm. uh, agencies, you know, mm. on this, rather than uh, campaign or agendas, you know, of the countries affected by the death sentence in Indonesia. Mm. Now, I'm thinking of, yeah, an Islamic countries, you know, mm. uh, or African countries, you know, mm. who abolished that penalty already. Mm. Yeah, I know that a lot of countries in Africa have abolished that penalty, mm. so uh, they have to be on board. You know? Yeah, they have to be on board. In ASEAN, yeah, I don't, I don't have much hope in ASEAN, you know, mm. because uh, yeah, most of them still retain that penalty. Still on the future, I asked Mulia to undertake the difficult task of gazing ahead in his crystal ball to the end of Jokowi's term as president, four years in the future. I asked him whether he saw any prospect of improvements in capital punishment in that time. I may probably. Uh, yeah, inclined to say Jokowi realizing all the problems he's facing now mm. may embark on de facto yeah. Yeah, moratorium mm. yeah, policy of non-executions yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he will not declare that mm. he will not declare that yeah. uh, the second how long that would last yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows. Because it's not really a strong believer in human rights mm. in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really strong believers. So uh he will not execute because of yeah, political reality. Mm. Yeah. Because of economic, you know, yeah. uh imperatives yeah. not to do that. Yeah. Not because Deep in his heart, you know, mm. he uh, intends to abolish that penalty. That is not the case, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember during the campaign, you know, he was talking about that penalty with me. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he wants to uh, do that penalty to impose that penalty uh, toward this uh, corrupt, you know, officials. Yeah. And I, 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 I said, you know, yeah, there are, there's other option, you know, aside mm. from that penalty. But he said. Well, I want to sentence him to death. You know? mm. Mm. I can understand, you know, uh, the 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 feeling, you know, yeah. the logic, you know, behind it. Because, yeah, that's the way he is. You know? Yeah. Uh, Pat there's so much more we could ask you about mm-hmm. the death but I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. That was Professor Todong Mulia Lubis, prominent human rights lawyer. Honorary Professor in the Melbourne Law School and the Indonesian Defence Lawyer for Andrew Chan and Moyoran Sukumaran. You can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast series at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or subscribe to the series on iTunes or Stitcher. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast.